We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. As you may have noticed, the Wednesday episodes of the Rotowire NBA pod sound a little bit different lately. That's because they're actually pre-recorded for Dash Radio, a partner of ours, uh, late Tuesday night. So that's why you keep hearing that name throughout the episode, Dash Radio. Uh, probably an extra promo or two, but for the most part, the podcast will remain exactly the same. We'll still be talking about what we always talk about, the NBA, and all of our episodes will still be available through this same feed. So our apologies if things sound a little bit differently, but Frankly, it's a hell of a lot easier on our end to record the show as a podcast and post it on Wednesday rather than record two separate episodes, essentially talking about the exact same topics. Anyway, Alex and I hit on all the big news from Orlando, Jared Jackson's untimely injury, Devin Booker putting away the Los Angeles Clippers with a game winner, and the Suns suddenly looking extremely frisky, the 3-0 Phoenix Suns uh, in that battle for the eighth seed out west. We were, of course, blessed just blessed with a ton to talk about around the NBA and around the bubble. So really fun and uh, jam-packed episode of the Roadwire NBA podcast. Speaking of which, the Roadwire NBA podcast has a new sponsor, PropSwap. You can go to PropSwap.com or you can download the PropSwap app. It is essentially what it sounds like. You can buy tickets from other bettors to make sure that you're getting the best odds available. Let's say someone has a ticket for the Raptors to win the title at 45 to 1. You can buy that ticket from them. Who knows when it was purchased? Probably a long time ago. 
but the Raptors are currently 17 to one uh, via the FanDuel Sportsbook to win the NBA title. I think you'd rather have the 45 to one odds than the 17 to one. PropSwap is a way to ensure that you get those bigger odds. PropSwap offers opportunities for all the major pro sports, plus college basketball, plus college football. They have you covered there. So don't even think about placing an NBA playoff wager without checking PropSwap.com or the PropSwap app first. That's where you're going to find the best odds. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA show. It is Wednesday, August 4th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. You're listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. You can use our promo code rotowire.com slash dash to sign up for a free trial to our website, rotowire.com. A ton of great NBA content you can find on Rotowire. Of course, we're ramping up for NFL season, baseball in full swing as well, hockey, basically any sport, Alex, that has ever offered any semblance of a fantasy game, whether it's you know daily, season long, whatever it might be, I think we have it covered, right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, any sort of obscure sport that's on like FanDuel or DraftKings, we we definitely have uh, we have articles, stats, all that stuff for it. We most certainly do. Uh, we have a lot to get into for the NBA. I, I think this is our third show now uh, on the Dash Radio platform, and. With each successive show, we've had more and more news to cover, and our our uh, kind of rundown of topics gets larger and larger. And the first one we have to get to, and a couple of these main topics are are not not things that we would prefer to cover. Uh, you and I were were talking, covering some news earlier this evening, and then out of nowhere, Adrian Wojnarowski just blasts through the wall with a tweet that Jaron Jackson tore his meniscus. I have not seen, Alex, maybe you have, how exactly this happened, when exactly this happened. The Grizzlies did not play on Tuesday. Uh, they last played on Monday. By all accounts, he was fine in that game, had had a pretty solid game on Monday. Uh, the Grizzlies did lose that game to New Orleans. They dropped to 0-3 in seeding play, but Jaron Jackson played 32 minutes, put up 22 points, uh, and again, looked healthy. So this kind of comes out of nowhere, and you know Memphis was already... Uh, kind of skidding in, at the end of the season back in March before the shutdown. You know They weren't looking great. And now they've lost three in a row. Like I said, they're on a four-game losing streak dating back to March. And all of a sudden losing, you know, arguably their best all-around player. You know, John Morant, probably their best offensive player, their best playmaker. But in terms of versatility and a guy who can protect the rim, I think it's Jaron Jackson. And, you know, if there's one benefit for Memphis, it's that some of the teams that were really close to them in the standings right away, uh, like New Orleans and, and like Portland, haven't exactly come out on fire either. It's been teams like you, that were a little further back, like Phoenix, which is three and zero, San Antonio, two and one. So you know, at least they're they're still in the driver's seat for that eight seed. But the the degree of difficulty now for Memphis to hold on to the eight has has certainly been cranked up. Yeah, especially once 
or, or assuming they end up in a playing situation, it's going to be way tougher for them to win one of those games mm-hmm. against likely either Portland or whoever, whoever else can catch up at this point. It could be like San Antonio for all we know. Um, yeah, they're going to miss Jaron Jackson Jr. a lot. Definitely their best two-way player. Um, and I mean, without him, they're an even worse three-point shooting team. You know, they make the seven fewest threes right now at the eighth lowest percentage. Uh, Jaron Jackson makes two and a half per game at 39%. I mean, he's legitimately one of the better three-point shooters in the NBA. Now, without him, those minutes kind of get replaced by, like, Brandon Clark, who shoots, like, a really low volume. Kyle Anderson, who is not a good three-point shooter. Josh Jackson's an interesting... Like, they're, they're going to have to kind of, I think, do this by committee because Brandon mm-hmm. Clark already plays almost you know, 24, 25 minutes a game. Um the numbers say they're a little better with Jaron Jackson off the court, but I really I don't believe that at all. There's there there must be some noise in there. So yeah, this is this is really tough for them mm-hmm. and kind of a I mean their season's not over, obviously, but this is about, you know, kind of a worst case scenario for like an end of season situation. Yeah, it is. I mean I, I think and just, just the way, you know, that it came out of nowhere, I think was such a surprise uh to everyone involved and um, you know, a huge, huge blow for Memphis and a, a team that, unlike New Orleans and some of these other teams that are fighting for the eight in the Western Conference, does not have an easy schedule the rest of the way. You know, you look at the Pelicans' schedule; they they kind of had to go through hell these first couple of games, some difficult matchups, but things ease up for them over their final five or six seeding games. That's not the case for Memphis. I mean, I'm I'm going to read you their next five games. We'll we'll see who's all on the court. Maybe for some of these teams, if things are locked up, but. Would they be favored against the Jazz, the Thunder, the Raptors, the Celtics, or the Milwaukee Bucks? I would say almost no chance. I mean, no, the, I don't think so. Yeah, no, all those teams are are definitely better than Memphis, and yeah, like we alluded to, I mean, the the, the Grizzlies' second best player now is probably Jonas Valanciunas, who's good, but I mean, it quickly drops off after that when you're talking third or fourth best player getting into like Dylan Brooks territory, which right. is Oof. Not ideal. It's not a territory that you necessarily want to be in. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you when you start to kind of zoom out now and look at the standings, uh, you know, as they are, uh, we're we're recording late Tuesday night. Uh, Blazers Rockets is still in progress right now, so there there might be a little bit of movement there. Uh, either the Rockets can can maybe gain some ground on Denver, pull within a game if they win. Uh, a bigger game certainly for Portland, and and now a major opportunity for the Blazers to capitalize on this injury. But would you still bank on Memphis, which which has a, as it stands right now, a two-game advantage over Portland, a two-game advantage over the Spurs, two and a half over New Orleans, and a three-game advantage over Phoenix. Would you count on on Memphis finding a way to maintain that? I don't know if I would bank on it anymore. I was pretty certain they would beforehand, but now their roster is, like I mentioned, pretty thin. And I don't have a lot of confidence in those guys other than I would say Brandon Clark mm-hmm. um, to come in and, and really, you know, uh, be great on a night to night basis. So I think it is possible that they that they slip out of the eighth seed and right. they're the ones who end up trying to win two playing games. Oh, and they could fall further than that as well. Sure. Yep. Like, and, and like I said, to their benefit is the fact that that those teams that have done well so far and we'll get to Phoenix in a moment here, but Phoenix was so far behind that they've gone three and zero. the Grizzlies have gone zero and three and there's still a three game gap. So, you know, Memphis would need to tumble further than the nine spot. It's only a two team playoff. It's not whoever against the Grizzlies. It's the eight versus the nine. So it, you know, if, if the Spurs and the Blazers, you know, go four and one or five and zero the rest of the way and, and Memphis loses out, 
those are the two teams that would probably end up playing each other. I think it's very much feasible. And and really, the more I think about it, even with Jaron Jackson in the lineup, the way that Memphis was playing, I I think it was going to be pretty dicey anyway. Yeah, they were not playing well at all. They were 0-3. Um, yeah, it was it was going to get close. And these next five games are, I mean, this is going to, I mean, this is kind of what the hope was for the bubble is that this race for the ADC in the West would basically be the biggest story of the bubble and the most interesting thing that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And so far it is. And unfortunately, you know, that's partially because of, of Jaron Jackson's injury. Um, but that's, <laughs> that just is what it is. Yeah. The, the links that the NBA is going to, to make sure <laughs> Zion Williamson gets into the playoffs. You, you just hate to see it. Uh, so elsewhere on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday afternoon, Luka Doncic goes for 34, 20 and 12 in the Mavericks victory. Uh, I mean, a historic line that goes without saying, uh, needed overtime to to fully get there, but still, uh, to to put that up in a game when your team only scores one fourteen uh, is pretty impressive. And when you look at the other guys who've done that, it's a pretty illustrious list, as you'd expect. Uh, a lot of Wilt Chamberlain representation, a lot of Oscar Robertson representation, some Kareem representation. But when you narrow it down to you know the semi recent past, so since nineteen seventy, you have Kareem on there twice in seventy two and seventy six. You have George McGinnis. Who, who did that in 1976 as well. The three most recent are probably not the three guys that I would have guessed. Maybe one of them in Nikola Jokic, who did it earlier this season with a 30-21-10 against Utah back in February. But the other two guys, I mean, one of them, I, I think you know maybe most people would get after a few guesses. The other one would probably have taken me north of 200 guesses. <laughs> are, you, are you referring to the David Lee game? The David Lee game, which you inform me that you have apparently watched the highlights of said game in 46 minutes. David Lee in the year 2010 as a member of the New York Knicks playing against his future team, the Golden State Warriors, went for 37 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists in a game that they lost by 11 points. Uh, just a great example of you know a player having a great game against you. And you're like, we, we have to get that guy. Because he was on the Golden State Warriors <laughs> immediately the next season. He really was. And this this game happened in April of 2010. So, you know, basically as soon as they could, as soon as they were allowed <laughs> by the league to get David Lee, they got their hands on him. The well, other you, one we should note is DeMarcus Cousins, by the okay. way, who people forget. I mean, and this was when he was on the Pelicans. Like, as much as he was, you know, kind of railed against for for being the, the face, I guess, of some really bad Kings teams and some really dysfunctional Kings teams, at kind of the, the the absolute depths of that organization, he had some insane individual games during that run. Yeah, Cousins, I mean, you know, one of those guys who people criticize him in terms of whether he's a winning player or not, but in, just in terms of, like, putting up numbers, having huge games. I mean, he's one of the best centers in the league at at doing that. And um, I feel like that Pelicans team with him and, and Anthony Davis is almost going to be, like, lost to history because it was such a short period of time in Cousins' career for the most part ended after that, but um, that was a really, that was a really fun team and kind of an interesting team that was going against the grain in terms of like having two big guys. Um, so it's unfortunate that, you know, that his career has, has turned out um, injury ridden. Yeah. Really fun team, a team that I believe made a run to the second round of the playoffs. Uh, I believe without DeMarcus Cousins actually, who, you know, kind of the start of his injury woes were that season when, when he went down with the Achilles, but Anthony Davis, Rondo, 
Drew Holiday, uh, Dante Cunningham was playing big minutes for that team. Jameer Nelson was apparently on that team as well. Uh, the, the one of the one of the teams that, like you said, I think will probably be forgotten, but uh, for those who watched it at the time, uh, very enjoyable. But I mean, Luka Doncic, I, I don't even know what to say about this anymore. I, I he's one of the more puzzling players I could remember watching, where you're not surprised when he has a game like this, but nothing about really the way that he plays or the way that he looks, the way that he moves implies that he should ever have 20 rebounds, like let alone, you know, let alone 10 rebounds. Um, he's, you know, he's just not all that physically imposing. He, he, you still hear talk, you know, near the end of year two now for him that he's not in the shape that, that Dallas would want him to be in. Um, and you wonder what that might look like down the road when he eventually gets into that shape. But He's somebody that even even the best wing defenders in the NBA, for some reason, just cannot stay in front of this guy. And he, you know, the three point shooting is one thing. He's a threat from beyond the arc, but percentage wise, he's you know he's not a knockdown shooter from three. He's not someone that you need to sell out at all times to prevent from shooting threes. There's just something about his game. I don't I don't know if it's the the Manu Ginobili like you know intuitiveness of just knowing exactly where to move at all times, but it's just puzzling to watch sometimes like how how well he's able to assert himself on the offensive end in in any game against any opponent seemingly yeah i mean his his kind of you know like array of of stuff that he can do that isn't like blow by speed or or you know leaping ability and stuff like that is i mean some of the best in the nba in terms of like his start stop speed is really good he can post up smaller guys does it really well actually um yeah, and kind of like you mentioned, really the only knock on him right now is, I guess, he's not a great defender by any means, but it's, you know, it's kind of the three-point shooting. If he can get up into that, like, hardened range, or if he can at least cross, like, the 35% mark consistently, then he's going to take another leap forward um, into, like, averaging probably close to 30 a game given his usage rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the the degree of difficulty on his shots... You know, if you watch a few games, you can understand why his three-point percentage is, you know, in the low 30s. Because mm-hmm. some of those step-backs are, I mean, they're they're more extreme than a lot of Harden step-backs, for example. So if he can finally get those, you know, if he can finally knock those down consistently, and maybe that is a matter of getting in better shape. Um, so he can he can do that in late games and, and right. you know, his arms are there. Uh, maybe that's some of it. But, yeah, he's, I mean, obviously incredible. I think the fact that he's so young and the fact that Dallas, you know, has, has kind of had a few years away from being a, a premier franchise, a, a franchise that's talked about as competing, you know, for for a Western Conference finals berth or a finals berth. There hasn't been that much talk about his supporting cast where, you know, if if, if you're LeBron or Kawhi or Kevin Durant and, you know, your team is is in sixth or seventh place, there's going to be a lot of talk about the guys around you. And we really haven't heard that with Doncic and you know, nothing against Tim Hardaway, Seth Curry, Maxi Kleber, Dorian Finney-Smith, the list goes on. But outside of Porzingis, I mean, this is a, a solid supporting cast. It's not a great supporting cast. And I think there's an argument to be made that if you get him a little more help, a little more shooting on the wing, you start to, to phase out a veteran like J.J. Barea, maybe replace him with uh, with a better defender. Um, you know, there's still kind of they, they haven't really found a solution. It feels like at power forward, you know, Dwight Powell injury obviously hurt them, but they don't have a ton of depth really anywhere. And I feel like once this roster fills out, uh, I think that raises Luka Doncic's ceiling. But the other thing with him is like, how do you project a guy who's already putting up these kind of numbers in year two? And it's not like he came over from Europe at age 25, having played professionally for seven years. I mean, he's, he doesn't turn 22 until February. 
And when you look at the projection or uh, the trajectory, I should say, of, of other superstars, you know, even, even someone like LeBron, Dwayne Wade, James Harden, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, like they weren't averaging 29, nine and nine in their second year. And, you know, on one hand, it's hard to imagine those numbers getting a whole lot better. But on the other hand, you know, is he just going to is he just going to average twenty nine ninety nine for the next 10 years? You know, like you would think he's going to continue to improve. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine like his usage rate going up at this point. Like it's hard to imagine yeah. he takes a ton more than the 21 shots a game he's taking. He gets to the free throw line nine times. He takes nine threes. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine him, him going too far above that. So I guess I guess the key, yeah, I guess for him, it's just maybe becoming a better defender or more just efficient offensively. Um, mm-hmm. And just, I mean, given how much he handles the ball, his turnovers are actually, you know, relatively low. It's 8.8 assists to 4.3 turnovers, which isn't like amazing, but he's not someone like Chris Paul necessarily either, who, you know, isn't going to shoot uh, nearly as much as he's like a passer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how you, how you project someone like Doncic because it's, it's not really like anything we've ever seen from someone this young um, at all. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun to, to see where he, you know, where he ultimately is in, in the year 2025 and, and things, you know, you would imagine really start to click for him. Another Western Conference young player, <clears throat> excuse me, Devin Booker um, takes down almost single handedly the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, another another tough loss for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who uh, I'm sure you've seen the clip by now were all over Devin Booker uh, in his final shot. And I, I messaged you, you know, we were watching that one live at the time, Alex. That was as difficult a game winner as you're ever going to see. I mean, the the defenders, the guys guarding him aside, you know, two of the maybe five best all around perimeter defenders in the NBA. But to, you know, to get that screen uh, at the at the top of the key, he makes a quick ball fake. Uh, that that kind of fools Ivica Zubac just enough to let Booker go left, gets cut off by Kawhi, spins back to his right, and then it almost has to remove his guide hand just just because of the the way that his body is contorted and just just floats up a incredibly difficult you know 19 20 footer at the buzzer and I, I think that's probably the most iconic shot now that we've seen. Uh, it's only been you know less than a week in the bubble, but I, I think that's kind of going to be one of the lasting images that you that you remember at least from the seeding games in Orlando. I think so too. I mean, especially if the Suns end up making the playoffs in some sort of like miraculous run, then that's definitely going to be like one of the highlights of the bubble and something we'll play back for a while. Um, you know, there, I mean, Booker's great. I mean, he's, he had the best season of his career this year. Um, he was awesome. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that the Suns were, um, they didn't have Aiden for, you know, those 25 games. I think it was because of the suspension because they, you know, they do have one of the most talented rosters. They're kind of like the 76ers to me, where it's like, on paper, this team should 100% be a playoff team. The Suns shook in the West. And, like, there, there's no reason they should be worse than the Grizzlies at all. But, yep, here they are. Um, but I, now that everyone is basically healthy, I, I guess aside from Kelly Oubre, um, they're playing really well. And Booker is, you know, Booker is someone who can go up against the likes of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and come out on top, he's that talented offensively. Yeah, and I, I think he's a player that around the league probably has more respect from other players than than he gets from the fans. You know, I, I think there is kind of a... The, the NBA has so much talent right now that you kind of have to you have to work your way into that elite tier by winning. And, you know, even, even if you're coming 
you know, like Booker on your basically third straight season of really efficient, high level scoring, high level playmaking. If your team's not winning and you're 10 games, 15 games under 500 for most of the season, you're just not going to get that recognition. And like you said, I think they really missed DeAndre Ayton early on. And I, I think a lot of people just kind of wrote off the Suns as, as being the same old Suns. But I mean, having him even as a second year guy is, is so, so huge. I mean, he had a finish. Um, I don't know if, if you remember the exact play with, I think a little under a minute left late in this game where he, he caught a pass, I believe from Booker um, and just, and just had one of those plays where he like soared through three defenders to lay one in that, you know, you feel like most centers would either have to adjust their shot or would end up throwing up a sloppy floater, but he's just, he's really athletic. He's really strong. He's, you know, starting to make strides on the defensive end. And uh, I, I think he's clearly emerged as their second best player, but I, I mean, you and I have, we've been waiting for weeks to talk about McCall Bridges and I, I guess we finally have an excuse now. And, you know, if, if you go check the box score, you're not going to see a whole lot, but it feels like even dating back to the scrimmages a few weeks ago, he was good for like one clip every day that if you're, if you're deep into basketball Twitter, like we are, you would see somebody cut up a clip of McCall Bridges, like hounding Jason Tatum 90 feet from bucket to bucket and, and getting a block on the other end or, or doing the same thing to Pascal Siakam. Um, and he's just, I, I think he's on the fast track to becoming, you know, a first team, all defense type of guy within the next two or three years. He should be. I mean, I think, I think he, he kind of reminds me of like, you know, Robert Covington where he, he's still not there from like a volume three point shooting mm-hmm. context, but just as like a, you know, like an analytics darling on the wing, someone who could play like 35 minutes, shut down a ton of different players. He's in passing lanes. He's always getting steals and blocks. Um, he plays within himself, stuff like that. Like the 20, the, the last 25 games before the season went on hiatus, he was scoring 11 points per game, which isn't a great, you know, it's not like a high volume mark, but he was on 52, 40, 92, uh, in terms of his percentages with two and a half combined steals and blocks. And Mm. he's got the third highest point differential on the team. Um, like extremely efficient in terms of like wing players and, yeah, I'm just really like I'm just really intrigued to see where his career is going to go because he is like the he's like the absolute like pinnacle type of like fourth option kind of a guy for fourth or fifth mm-hmm. guy for a like potentially title contending team like just a yeah a great glue guy both ends of the court stuff like that. Yeah, I love the Covington comparison. I, I think he's one of those guys much like Covington where it's just every single team in the league would love that guy and would be right. willing to give up probably more than you think to get that guy. Uh, and speaking of, I mean, the Fultz trade is a disaster for the 76ers. Not so far behind is trading McCall Bridges uh, basically straight up for Zaire Smith. And yeah, I, th- I think they ended up getting a future first as well uh, for the, for uh, sending McCall Bridges to Phoenix. But still, I mean, I, I think imagine McCall Bridges teaming him with, with Matisse Thybulle on that Sixers defense. Right. I mean, they had to get rid of, you know, they had to get rid of Covington to get Jimmy Butler. And then later right. you would think, well, we have an opportunity to guy, get a guy who could potentially just be Robert Covington again, someone who was really helpful for their team. And they were just yeah. like, what if we got a really athletic wing who doesn't project that way? And I don't really know what they're, yeah. I'm still not really sure what they were doing there. And that's besides like Zaire Smith's been hurt, right? Like it's not completely fair to, you well, know, I think not... he, he had the peanut allergy thing for a while too. Right. That was just that was like a really bad omen, I think, to start a career. It was. Like miss a lot of games, almost die from a peanut allergy. Like not many players have come back from that to become a Hall of Famer. That is true. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by PropSwap. 
the smart sports better knows where to find the best odds before placing any bet and that's why smart sports betters use prop swap it's america's marketplace to buy and sell sports bets just last week a customer bought a miami heat to win it all ticket at the odds of 42 to 1 FanDuel right now has the heat at 25 to 1 prop swap customers always find the best odds because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself See a ticket you like, but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price you think is fair, then you buy it. It's the best way to make sure you're getting the best odds possible. No sportsbook is going to offer some of the odds you'll find on PropSwap. They simply won't. PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Alex, this happened on Monday, but you and I have not talked about Jonathan Isaac. Um, you know, Kind of in the similar vein, I guess, to Jaron Jackson, but... Uh, an injury that we actually saw happen, which I think makes it significantly worse. As always in these situations, I have avoided watching the actual video. I have no interest in seeing someone's knee or Achilles or whatever it might be uh, damaged on live television. But he ends up leaving Monday's game in a wheelchair. It, really, really tough situation. Um, you know, I saw some takes that the Magic never should have brought him back. Uh, you know, he never should have wanted to come back with you know with the injury that he suffered to the same leg back in January, but, you know, by all accounts, I, I don't think it was a situation where he came back too quickly necessarily. I mean, he, he looked really good in the minutes that he played in both scrimmages and in the seeding games. You know, there's no, nothing to suggest that the magic forced him to play or anything like that. It, it just seems like really bad luck for a guy who, you know, has had some bad injuries already. And, you know, when that happens, you, you kind of have to start to wonder, you know, does that, at some point kind of lower his ceiling as a player when, when severe injuries like this start to add up. Yeah. I don't, I I don't think he or the team necessarily deserve any blame for this because you know, they, the magic did apply for a disabled player exception for him. And I think that gets reviewed by like independent league doctors who determined that they would not grant that because he was going to be healthy by, I think June um, theoretically and it's August. So he, he should be fine. And I think it is just kind of a freak accident. Um, like you mentioned and yeah, it's just really unfortunate for, for the magic because he is, you know, their most promising player, I would say, and someone who you can understand why he wanted to come back because, you know, they're going to have another opportunity to play Toronto in the playoffs and he would probably guard Pascal Siakam. And that would be really like really good and really interesting for him and the magic. Um, but I don't know what you, you know, I think he's up for a rookie extension pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, if not this upcoming free agent period. So when you talk about his potential ceiling or kind of risk reward stuff, I'm not really sure what you do um, with that. If you are the magic, I mean, you, you definitely want him back. I don't know if you try to do like a, you know, a team option or something like that, like two or three years in to try to mitigate risk, but he's still someone, you know, he's still someone you want to take a chance on, I think, because he has shown to be that good on defense. Right. And it's, it's going to get messy as any contract negotiation does when you have a factor like that weighing against it. I mean, I, I think he showed enough in parts of 34 games this year to to back up what you said. I mean, he, he has the potential to be one of the best defenders in the entire NBA um, in terms of you know his steals numbers and, and shot blocking numbers were as elite as, as really we've ever seen, especially considering he was only playing like 28 minutes a game for a lot of the, a lot of the season. Um, but when you consider that he missed what 55 games as a rookie, he, he wasn't fully healthy last season. And then, you know, on pace to miss about another 50 games this year, 
you would think that when you're talking contract, you know, Orlando probably gets somewhat of a discount. Um, if, if they do want to lock Isaac up, you know, that Curry obviously being the classic example of a player like this, but huge, huge blow to Orlando. And, you know, I, I don't think the magic are going to fall out of the playoffs. I, I don't even know if that's mathematically possible at this point. I don't think it is. They're seven and a half up on Washington, but like you said, this is by far, I think their most promising player, I guess, unless you really want to hop back on the Markel Fultz bandwagon. You know, I, I think the ship has kind of sailed for Aaron Gordon to be to be what maybe a lot of people thought he would be coming out of Arizona. And, you know, for a team that's kind of been mired in the middle or even lower than that ever since losing Dwight Howard. I mean, we're talking almost a decade at this point. It just really sets you back because especially on the timeline that we're looking at for the start of next season, which at this point is like three months away. They're hoping to start next season in early November. I mean, if that's the case and that's what happens, Isaac probably misses all of next year too. It seems like it. Yeah. And like you mentioned, the Magic are a team. They've kind of been in that, you know, NBA purgatory spot and they drafted someone at number six, like Isaac, who, you know, if you're a team that wants to be competitive and kind of, you know, not fully tank, you're hoping to get someone in that like six to 13 range or whatever it may be that can really take that leap and it looked like he was going to be that guy. And when you get in this kind of a situation, it really just sets your entire franchise back potentially and puts you in a really tough spot from, you know, a, a contract management standpoint and, and everything like that. Right. And I don't think we want to spend too much time breaking down the, the 2021 Orlando magic, but no. <laughs> you take Isaac away and you know, unless they make some sort of splashy trade or acquisition this offseason, which it's hard to imagine that being the case, you know, that that Vucevic deal wasn't great at the time. They were kind of backed into a corner, kind of had to do it. Um, but, you know, he's making 26 million and 24, then 22 the next three years. They don't have a lot of upside, as we as we just noted. Yeah, I, I think a team like Washington, fully healthy, getting John Wall back probably jumps them. You know, Brooklyn should be astronomically better next year. Charlotte, Chicago, New York. Uh, you know, even Atlanta, like those teams all all at least have reason for optimism and reason to believe that they could maybe be the the seven or the eight seed next year. And I, I think there's a pretty good chance that Orlando, which with the exception, I guess, of Isaac stayed pretty healthy this year. I, I think they probably take a step back. And like you said, they're, they're probably just going to be good enough to pick like ninth or tenth the next few years, which is the complete opposite of what you want. Exactly. Um, do you want to talk Zion? Sure. I don't see why not. I, I, I'm sure this is a topic that's that's been beat to death. But um, here we are yet again discussing Zion Williamson's workload. Um, it was extended at least a little bit on Monday night in, in their most recent uh, seeding game, a win over New Orleans. He played 25 minutes in that game and, and actually was on the court late in the fourth quarter, helping them close that game out. Um, it, it's just been kind of baffling the lack of information, I guess, that we've received uh, regarding Williamson really this entire year, dating back to the injuries that that have plagued him and delayed his his arrival to the NBA. And then he leaves the bubble. No one is still sure why he left the bubble, what he was doing during that time. Uh, he comes back and plays what I think a total of 31 minutes over his first two games. And, you know, hopefully Monday night is a turning point and, and he starts to incrementally increase. And by the time we get to seeding games, six, seven, eight, he's into the thirties. But uh, this whole saga has just been kind of tiring, I guess, to to have to talk about a guy's minutes as the the main storyline every time he's on the court. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at least he looked to be like in better shape a little bit 
you know, on on, on I, Monday. I never um, know how to tell with him. I never I never know how to tell either. It seems to be on a day by day basis uh, how his conditioning is. But he was able to put up 21 shots in 25 minutes. So that, that takes some endurance. Um, shot 10 free throws, 23 points, seven rebounds, five assists. So, I mean, he had a good game. You know, if you can get that kind of production, maybe a little more efficient out of Zion in just 25 minutes, that's fine. And that should be enough to help, you know, propel you, uh, potentially into the eighth seed. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know exactly what to make of the minutes. Cause like you said, we have no information and there's only so much guessing you can do that other people haven't guessed the same things. Uh, but it's just good to see him out there again, obviously. And, um, hopefully he can keep playing, you know, a steady amount of minutes and, and have a high enough usage to where it's helpful for the, uh, helpful to the team and entertaining and, and everything like that. He didn't shoot all that efficiently, all that efficiently, I should say, uh, against Memphis on Monday, nine of 21 from the field. Not great when you consider that only one of those attempts came from three, but I think it was his best all around game so far. Right. Had seven rebounds. He did not rebound well in their first two games Had five assists. Uh, another you know, playmaking wasn't really. Uh, a part of his package, really even dating back to to February and March when he was still figuring things out. But I mean, there's just something about him that even in that that opening game, uh, you know, against Utah back on last Thursday, right as soon as he checked into the game, he caught kind of a low bad pass on a on a curl around the the free throw line area, and all it took was one dribble. And even though there were three defenders around him, he somehow just like in midair is able to just like move people out of the way telepathically. <laughs> and clear path for himself, which, you know, I've, I've said this before on, on our podcast, Alex, but I just I really was skeptical that that was going to work. It worked extremely well, suspiciously well at the college level. And he's he's still just able to move guys out of the way at will in the NBA. And it, it, it makes you shudder to think, like, what is this guy going to look like when he can actually play healthy basketball for four straight months instead of have these kind of weird spurts or I guess bursts, as the Pelicans are calling them? And then have to go sit out a month or go take a four month rest. And it, it just seems like once he's able to, to get some consistency within his, you know, his regimen as a player, I, I think he's going to take off astronomically. Yeah, I agree, because once he like you said, once he gets in a groove and once he gets, you know, once he can figure out better angles and see when teams are doubling him and make that extra mm-hmm. pass and stuff like that, because already what he's doing just kind of on his own. Um, it feels like they're kind of just giving him the ball and like letting him use his talent. It's almost like yes. he's his own separate team within the team. Um, and what he's already doing is completely demoralizing to the defense. Mm-hmm. And um, once he, yeah, once things start clicking for him even more, it's 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 going to be ridiculous. That's a great way to put it. Is it, it really does seem like he's kind of operating on his own. And honestly, that that kind of extends to like off the court too. Like it seems like it's you know Zion is like his own separate entity, and then there's the Pelicans, not necessarily in a bad way but just in the way that they've handled the whole media storm around him. But, but even on the court, like you said, when he gets the ball, he's shooting it almost every single time. Yeah. He doesn't, there's not a lot of like kickouts or spin moves baseline. He sees the double and then he fires off a pass to someone, but partially because when he spins baseline and there's a double team, he just jumps through both players for a a layup or a dunk. So exactly. (laughs) What it reminds me of is like a great, like a five-star elite uh, high school running back getting to the college level, like Leonard Fournette, Adrian Peterson, Saquon Barkley, guys like that. And there's just not really a plan. It's just like, all right, we're just going to, we're just going to pitch you the ball and right. hope you break five tackles and get us 15 yards. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but for the most part, it's worked pretty well uh, for Zion through the, the early part of his career. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers were on the losing end of that buzzer beater. 
uh, by Devin Booker. They're now one and two in seeding play. They had a huge blowout win uh, over the Pelicans in their second seeding game, but losses to the Lakers and now losses to the Suns. Not a great debut for Lou Williams, who looked appropriately rusty after spending the previous 10 days in quarantine. He was, I think they were outscored by 14 points when he was on the court. Um, but not not a huge concern for me, Lou Williams specifically. But overall, is there any reason to be concerned about the clips coming out? Maybe a little bit flatter, I think, than people expected. Uh, not necessarily. I, I I don't know. They're such a great team and they're missing, you know, a decent amount of like their their key pieces with like, I, I mean, without Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell, you know, their bench doesn't look nearly as good. It's a lot of Reggie Jackson. It's a lot of Marcus Morris. Um, it's a lot of like J. Michael Green at the five. A lot know, of the, Reggie Jackson. The the ghost of Joe Kim Noah. So, you know, there there isn't a ton there. And I'm not, I'm not really concerned. I mean, I think for them, you know, they're thinking the same way that the other contenders are. Where it's, you know, we're going to do what we can to win these games. We're going to be competitive. Uh, we want to be competitive every game because we want to get in a good group before the playoffs start. But we're not going to. You know, we're not going to sweat every loss necessarily. And they're they're in a good spot. I mean, they I, I think they kind of need uh, to be pushed a little bit. So it's a good thing, I think, that they have the the opportunity, I guess, or the chance to to slide beyond two. Uh, where I think we saw with Milwaukee today, which we'll get to when when there's not a whole lot on the line, it can be hard to get up for some of these seeding games. But I mean, the Clippers are only a game and a half ahead of the Denver Nuggets right now, and they can't really fall any further than third, but, uh, you know, I, I think you prefer obviously to hold on to that, that higher seed. And, um, you know, even that, even though that probably means a matchup with Dallas in round one, I, I think a, a great defensive team, uh, a team with, with two incredible perimeter defenders, isn't really too scared of that task, but, uh, you know, I, I think it'd be good for them to at least get a little bit of momentum at some point here. And, you know, like a lot of teams, you know, I, I think you have you mentioned earlier that there's only two teams that are that are undefeated. And some of those teams have only played two games like no, no team has really come in here with the exception of the Suns. And I think the others, the Indiana Pacers, like every team has kind of had their their rough spots so far. So I also am not too concerned about the Clippers. They remain my pick to win the finals. And if they still look like this, when Lou Williams has 10 games under his belt and Montrez Harrell's back and Pat Beverly's up to speed, maybe then I'll panic a little bit. But as long as Kawhi Leonard is healthy, as long as Paul George is healthy, I, I just can't pick against the Clips. I'm with you on that. So speaking of the Indiana Pacers, uh, TJ Warren kind of grabbed headlines over this past weekend, dropped 53 against the Sixers. Uh, he's now averaging, um, after another explosive game on Tuesday night, he is now averaging 39.6 points, 5.6 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 2.2 steals, and 2.3 blocks with, as you have in all caps here, four total turnovers through three games. Yeah, he's out of control right now. I don't know what happened. Like, did something happen over the over the hiatus? Something like, happened. I, I, mean, he's the, he's, I mean, he's the type of guy who, if, you know, like Malcolm Brogdon's not there, or if Oladipo's not there, or Sabonis isn't there, like, the shots funnel through him because he is just naturally a scorer, and he's finally getting better at hitting his threes, and, I mean... You know, the 53 points were absurd. And a game against the 76ers, which they, I don't want to say they needed, but they, what, they they won the tiebreaker now. Um, right. So, the Sixers didn't need it, but they, they certainly wanted it. It's not a game that they threw away. Right. Um, yeah. And he's, I mean, this isn't, you know, he's been great since January. 
you know, I've, I found since January 26, he's averaging 22.6 points on 58, 42, 83 shooting. So, I mean, he's been, he's been great towards the end of this year. Um, and he's like a great, I mean, he should have been there. What fourth offensive option. And if TJ Warren can play like this as your fourth offensive op, uh, option, you're doing incredible. But at this rate, it seems like he's probably going to be their their second or their third offensive option. Right. Well, you you said it at the top. I mean, he's the guy that if you're on a bad team and you got nobody else to score, he'll happily give you 25 every single night. But when he's on a team with a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, you know, a steady ball handler, maybe not a guy who has a huge usage rate, but has the ball in his hands a lot, a distributor, Victor Oladipo, who hasn't been himself in a year and a half, but it's still the guy for this team. Both those guys played, you know, I'd maybe, maybe TJ Warren just can't play with DeMontis Sabonis. That would be right. some sort of bizarre coincidence, but I mean, something has, has been unlocked for him. And, and like you said, it, it's one thing if some of those guys are missing, but this is basically their team going forward. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you want to adjust on the fly, but the way that this is working so far against some pretty good defenses, nonetheless is, yeah, I, I don't I don't think you're just going to shut, you know, funnel everything through T.J. Warren going forward. But you also you got to have to keep riding him at this point. Right. I mean, he's shooting 64 percent, I believe, from the field, 47 of 74 from the field in these three bubble games. He had 32 uh, on Tuesday night. And, and the other thing, too, is he's become and maybe this was something that that he worked on uh, if he had access to a court, I guess, over the last five months is is the three point shooting. He had nine threes in that game against the Sixers. He had never hit more than four in any game in his entire career. I mean, this was a guy that two, three years into his career was not shooting any threes. So, you know, kind of a Brandon Ingram like ascent, I guess, in in that respect. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I guess one of the most unlikely stories of the season. If he keeps, you know, if he keeps this up through the playoffs and he can average like twenty five in the playoffs or something like that, I mean, that would be really surprising. I mean, it's, it's not a necessity. But they basically got him for nothing. I think what they basically they traded cash for him from the Suns. Uh, I'm checking that out right now. Yes, I believe so. And cash has not done much for the Suns this season. It has not. Although I think it helped them get Ricky Rubio. Um, but yeah, I mean he was you know his problem was that he was very injury prone pretty much every season before this. Right. And the concern going forward is that you know he can play at this level obviously, but that he's He's just going to get hurt at some point. It's he's not going to be there consistently. But as of right now, it's a, it's an awesome story. I'm you know I'm excited to see what he can just keep doing in the bubble. Yeah, and if he does keep this up, and we start to view T.J. Warren considerably differently, yeah, at the start of next season than we did a week ago, even that contract is going to be a major bargain. I mean, eleven and a half million next season, twelve and a half the year after, a free agent in the summer of 2022, but. Uh, you know, still, uh, there's a pretty good chance that in like three weeks, we'll look back and be like, remember when we were talking about TJ Warren being the best bargain <laughs> in the NBA, I would still side that that's probably how this turns out. But I mean, if, if he really has taken a step, uh, if it was the the break or whatever that spurred it, um, you know, that's huge for Indiana, which, you know, I, I think we we never talked about the Suns over the last couple of months. We just assumed that they would wilt. And the other team that we at least talked about was the Pacers, but every time we brought the Pacers up, it was something negative. We had just completely written them off as a contender in the East. And, you know, without their full roster, without Oladipo looking great, without DeMontis Sabonis, I'd still pick them to lose in round one, but they're three and oh, and the results at this point speak for themselves. Yeah. I mean, without Sabonis, I thought they were, you know, pretty much done because considering I didn't have a tongue of faith in Oladipo and I still necessarily don't, but 
if if TJ Warren can keep doing this, then they're not too far off because they're going to play a lot of their starters 40 minutes anyway when playoff time comes. Um, and I, I think they can at least give, you know, teams like, I mean, they, they clearly gave Philly, uh, you know, right. trouble the other day. And Philly is, you know, just as good as basically Miami or or Boston. They're not that far in, in record difference. So, um, yeah, they're they're looking to be competitive. You're listening to Rotowire's NBA show on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. Again, you can go to rotowire.com slash dash. That'll get you free 10 days of access to rotowire.com. Alex, I, I trust that you watched at least part of this afternoon's Bucks game that started at 12.30 p.m. our time here in Wisconsin. Yikes. Uh, has your confidence in the Bucks wavered whatsoever, uh, taking this game into account as well as, as Sunday's loss to the Houston Rockets? My confidence in them as a top three team hasn't really wavered. Um, you know, I I kind of found honestly the the loss to Houston a little more concerning because mm-hmm. it kind of brought up some old feelings about Bugenholzer not uh, stepping away from his scheme. You know, the the Rockets switch everything, and the Bucks weren't hunting switches to get smaller players on Brook Lopez to post up mm-hmm. or get smaller players on Giannis to post up. They would just like post up PJ Tucker with Brooke Lopez. And it's like, if there's one guy in the court who you don't want Brooke Lopez posting up against or Giannis, it's PJ Tucker. And that was incredibly frustrating to watch. Um, but these games have made me a little more worried about, you know, as a Bucks fan, like going up against Toronto again, because Toronto has looked incredible. Like when you like the stats bear that out, but when you actually watch Toronto, they look like they won the NBA finals last year, like with their passing, with their defense, with the intensity, everything like that. So, you know, I, like I said, I still think they're a top three team, but that, you know, that Houston loss compared to what Toronto has been able to do is concerning. I feel the same way. I I said the same thing to, to a friend this week that I think the Houston loss was more concerning the way that I, I wouldn't say it qualifies as Milwaukee blowing that game, but they were in control. And that is a game that when locked in Milwaukee, this version of the Bucks almost never loses a game that they put away 99 out of a hundred times over the last two years. And the fact that they didn't, and the fact that they didn't look like they had a plan at the end of the game. And, you know, Giannis not to place the blame on him. I mean, he's been great statistically, but you know, just was a little bit erratic at the end of that game. There's been a lot of, not just from Giannis, but a lot of like jumping in the air with no plan from the Bucks through, right. through all these games. And even, even going back to the scrimmages, they don't look quite as crisp as they did. Uh, especially in in December and January and February when they were really, really humming along. And, you know, back back in March, Giannis was hurt for a couple of games before the shutdown. But their last 11 games, essentially since the start of March, they're five and six. And there aren't many historically great teams like like we think the Bucks are that have a stretch like that. And I, I'm willing to throw out the, the Nets game on Tuesday. The Bucks could have won that game if they wanted to. Giannis didn't play in the second half. Chris Middleton didn't play in the second half. Eric Bledsoe's minutes were limited. Brooke Lopez didn't play at all. Wes Matthews didn't play. Like there were a number of factors that went into that. But you know, I, I think the, the Bucks, you know, even without Giannis this year, the Bucks backups essentially or their their non Giannis crew have cleaned up. Like they've they've had some blowout wins without Giannis. And I, I think the fact that some of those guys seem a little lost or at least a little rusty is at least partially concerning because, like you said, the Raptors look like they have no rust whatsoever. Right. And, um, you know, this was Bledsoe's first game back as well. 
Um, to a smaller extent, it was Congleton's first game back. So, you know, I think how the Bucks now, you know, take these losses and move forward with the entire team healthy, essentially with Bledsoe back, who is a crucial part of the defense and being able to like blow up screens, um, you know, and and work within the defense uh, and get into the lane offensively, make good passes. Is someone who can one of the only players on the Bucks that can actually handle the ball and get into the lane mm-hmm. um, other than Giannis. Because Middleton, he gets in, he gets near the lane and he posts up and he tries that 15-foot, you know, 13-foot uh, turnaround jumper. George Hill's not really getting in the paint that much. DiVincenzo's not driving, stuff like that. So I think Bledsoe is a crucial piece of the team no matter how um, sketchy his play in the playoffs has been and how little confidence Bucks fans might have in him. Him being back for these final games, I think, is going to be really important for the team to figure out, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. some late tweaks before things really start to matter. Right. I think overall, the notion that was thrown out there when when this whole bubble plan started to come together, that the Bucks and to maybe a lesser extent, the Lakers were the teams that would maybe be hurt by this because they don't have the home court advantage. You know, all the work that they put in to distance themselves from the rest of the conference before the shutdown kind of goes down the drain. And, you know, not that the Bucks are, are a team that, that can't win unless they're at home with that crowd. Uh, but I, I think they miss it. And I think there's a, a pretty good chance that not having that advantage and, and even crowd aside, you know, just having to take so much time off and, you know, for a team that relies so much on kind of a system and, and continuity and driving kick, being in the right place, knocking down shots, making the right pass, you know, it, maybe there, maybe it takes them longer than we expected to get that back. Uh, and, and teams that maybe are, are used to kind of making things up on the fly and not being quite so crisp have a little bit of an advantage in the bubble. But, uh, you know, I, I think in the long run, Milwaukee will be fine. I think maybe, you know, maybe some of these, these chinks in the armor early on have shown that it, it might not be a cakewalk uh, through the Eastern Conference, you know, to the Eastern Conference finals. I, I would still certainly pick Milwaukee to get there, but... Um, you know, I, I think Toronto especially really, really looms as as a major challenge, uh, assuming that's what we get in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, back to the Western Conference, Alex, uh, a player that we've been tracking pretty closely all season, and, and a lot of people have, Michael Porter Jr., huge game on Monday for the Nuggets. Uh, we talked about him in tandem with Bull Bull on last week's episode as far as what do we really expect from these guys when the games start to matter. As we predicted, Bull Bull has essentially been a fringe piece uh, on the fringes of the rotation, played four minutes on Monday. My guess is he's out of the rotation entirely once Jamal Murray and Will Barton and Gary Harris are all back. Maybe he sneaks in a few minutes here or there. But you know, my question to you is, has Michael Porter Jr. played so well that when those guys eventually come back, do they owe it to Michael Porter to to kind of maybe siphon a few minutes away from Barton and Harris, guys who especially Harris have been, you know, a little bit erratic and pretty inconsistent for a lot of the year. I think so. I mean, he, he's proven throughout the year that he's a guy, you know, you can give him 15 minutes and then if he's, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, like if he's hot, you leave him in. And if he's cold, you can kind of pull him. Cause he's, I mean, when he touches it, he's going to try to score. So I, I think you do need to, you know, I think you do need to, to give him a shot probably over someone like Gary Harris, you know, Will Barton is, I think a good enough, like ball handler, um, you know, to where he can do other stuff on the court. Gary Harris is good at three and D and stuff like that. They kind of do different things, but it's it's hard to imagine Porter 
like getting DNPs in the playoffs, right? At this point, like he's he's clearly too good, mm-hmm. I think, to not play. Oh, for sure. I don't think he'll ever get DNPs. I, I think the question is, does he sink back to playing 15 to 20 minutes instead of, you know, he played 44 minutes the other night. That was an overtime game. But, you know, do they essentially have to cut his workload in half when those veterans come back? And I, I think it's a really, really tough call because you want to trust somebody like Gary Harris and Will Barton in the playoffs, guys who've been there. But I, I think if, if, you're, if your goal is to win the title this year, I think Michael Porter helps you get you get there get there get there potentially more than those others there's also a chance that his inexperience hurts you at times where you might want you know the better defender and will barton uh you know more dependable guy i guess and gary harris but i think the upside of porter is incredibly tantalizing and i think the biggest thing is he looks to be completely past any sort of injury concerns at this point right i mean we're, we're still talking about zion playing 15 minutes in their first game back michael porter meanwhile is going for 40 plus minutes Right. And yeah, it's tough to the toughest part about giving him minutes is that he is his best position is probably the four. And you want Paul Millsap playing like 35 minutes a game. You know, obviously you got Jokic and Plumlee at center, but there's probably room to take away minutes from Jeremy Grant and Tory Craig, you know, enough and maybe Monte Morris to some extent to find, you know, those 20 to 25 minutes from Porter. Cause I agree his upside Way higher than Barton's, way higher than Gary Harris, for sure. Um, and so I think, yeah, if you want to win the title, you're you're going to need him. Uh, I I would say because he can get you 20 points in 20 minutes. So there's not too many other guys on the roster mm-hmm. who can do that. You know, Jamal Murray is is someone who comes to mind. Obviously, and Jokic could if he if he really tried. Though he's you know he's always passed first. Right. Um, but yeah, I think if they want a chance at upsetting one of the LA teams, they're going to need Michael Porter to to play a solid amount and, and, you know, just fire up shots. All right. We got about three minutes left, Alex, the Los Angeles Lakers on Monday night, locked up the number one seed in the Western conference. They have a back to back now on Wednesday and Thursday. I would guess that LeBron James, Anthony Davis, maybe even Dwight Howard, Kuzma, McGee, some of those other veterans probably play one, one of those two games. You know, maybe they even sit both. I mean, they really nothing to play for in terms of seating, at this point for the Lakers, but does this really mean anything? I mean, obviously it means quite a bit to LeBron James who, who made that, that quite clear um, in, in his presser on Tuesday morning, but uh, you know, does avoiding, you know, the, basically the, the seven teams that we know are good in the Western conference, avoiding a Dallas or an OKC in round one, is that worth much to you in, in a, a setting where you don't have home court advantage? Um, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I think you would you would rather. I mean, if they can get Memphis in the first round, they would love that. Um, but I think the difference between playing like Portland and playing Dallas, for example, or playing OKC, I don't. I think I don't think is that different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Portland could end up being the best team out of that group. So I, I don't think it matters a ton. I'm with you on that. I, I think it totally depends who the eight seed is. I, I think if you're the Lakers, you're rooting hard for. Phoenix and San Antonio, especially to right. keep playing well, right? Yes. They, they, if Phoenix, Phoenix could go eight and zero and win the rest of their seeding games by thirty apiece, and the Lakers would happily welcome the Suns for a round one matchup. I, I think, I think Portland is the team you want to avoid most. New Orleans, maybe a slight step below. Uh, the Lakers have handled New Orleans pretty easily this season, and and honestly, the the, the Pels, even with Zion uh, playing at his best, have not looked all that great in the bubble. Um, so I, I think Portland is that team. 
we haven't touched on Sacramento at all. What, what, let's let's finish with a minute on the Sacramento Kings, Alex. 0-3 in the bubble. Uh, things are kind of falling apart once again, it would seem, uh, for the Sacramento Kings, who are, of course, without Marvin Bagley. At what point is this franchise going to finally start going in the right direction? I I have no idea. I think it's going to take Marvin Bagley being good for that to really st- for that to really like you know take a step forward because mm-hmm. I like I like Buddy Heald I like Rashawn Holmes Bielitsa's fine but those guys don't seem like they're ready to take some sort of leap that will change the franchise. No, no, uh, that, that's a tough question to spring on you with no preparation, by the way. So I'm sorry for that. All right, we're running out of time. Make sure to check out all of our content on rotowire.com, uh, rotowire.com slash dash. One more time, we'll give you a free 10 days of access to the site. You can find more episodes from Alex and I on our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.